values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. We appreciate this part of your day here with the show. I'd like you to join us, uh, KTAR, myself, the people out at Wildlife World Zoo, Aquarium, and Safari Park, December 10th. It's a Saturday. It's Red and Blue Day at the zoo. It's where we honor and we thank the families of first responders. These are police and firefighters. If you are the first 1,000 police and fire families that show up with their credentials to show that they are in the fire department or the police department, you and three of your guests get into the into the for free to the entire day at the zoo. The rides are free. The exhibits are free. All of it is free to you. And we just want to say thank you. The details are at KTAR.com on the contest page. So please go there and uh, and we'd love for you to join us on the 10th. Um, the Cochise County Board of uh, Supervisors uh, vote to hire a lawyer, and the lawyer that they've hired is one of the lawyers that represented the Cyber Ninjas. This is all part of that election denial thing. I, I, you know, I go back with this where I disagreed with the audit and the way it was done. Um, I thought an audit would have been necessary for both sides, going back to 2016 when they said that the election was stolen and the Russians this. and um, Both sides of the aisle in recent years have complained. Now, uh, it's been perfected over the last couple of years. It's all that's been talked about in Arizona because to the naked eye, myself included, it was hard to believe that Joe, uh, Joe Biden won Arizona. Because if you looked around, the naked eye told you that there was such immense support for Donald Trump, passionate, thousands of people showed up every time he came to town or for those Trump trains that drove around. And whenever Joe Biden was here, people kind of shrugged their shoulders and didn't pay much attention. And Joe Biden ended up winning Arizona by about 10,000 votes. When you talk about, you know, the couple of million, two and a half, almost three million votes, whatever it was, it was cast. Only 10,000 votes separated. It was hard to believe he won. But then Arizona made a mistake, and I, when I say that, I say the Republicans in Arizona made a mistake, that they made it the number one issue, talking about a stolen election, believing that the rest of the state would go along with them. One of the things you have to realize is that you, um, you have a job to do. And that is to get people to vote for you and to vote for your party and to vote for your platform and to vote for your ideas and especially vote for your candidates. And you also have to give the voters what they want. And so you don't have to necessarily change your beliefs, but you certainly have to change your tactics and your message when you're talking to people. You know, I, I, and that was that's been my complaint about this from the beginning. I, in my opinion, if you are someone that believes that the 2020 election was stolen, you should be more angry than anybody else was about the audit and the way it was done, because there was nothing about that audit that was going to get your message out, no matter what they said they found. And let's look back. That audit was exactly what I said it was going to be. And this isn't an I told you so. It was a warning. From the very beginning, that audit was mishandled. From the security issues they had at the very beginning of it to the first thing they were looking for under black lights and they were looking for a bamboo in the paper and they were chasing a lot of things. They were letting the public in. They were giving tours of the audit to to political officials across the country. They let a documentary crew in that was already predisposed to have an idea. They weren't investigating. They were looking for evidence to prove their point. And it just pointed all in one direction. Just like I said, the the hearings against Donald Trump for the four years preceding were all pointed in one direction. They were all done by uh, Nancy Pelosi and, and, and Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler and all of these people that had an agenda. And everybody saw through the agenda. 
And what was going on in D.C. at the time when they investigated Donald Trump was not popular with the American voters. And the American voters said it, that we needed to move on. Well, the voters in Arizona said the same thing about the audit. And we didn't really move on. And the cyber ninjas are still in violation. And they have broken up as a company. They don't have the money to fulfill their obligations in the law. They said as much to give over the documents that they're supposed to give. And the whole thing fell apart. And I kept saying, if we continue to focus on 2020 then we're going to lose in 2022. Not by a big margin. It does show two things. One thing, it shows that the majority of voters weren't looking in that direction. But it also shows for the people out there angry at election denial, the vast number of votes that they did get. When you see that Katie Hobbs won that election by, what, 17,000 was the last count I saw, 17, 18,000 votes, whatever it was, whatever it ended up being somewhere in that neighborhood. Again, two and a half million votes cast. That's not a big margin for victory. So there are still a lot of people in Arizona that believe that not, and not all of those voters are election denial people that don't that, that believe the election was stolen, but they still have are getting votes. But I I just look at Cochise County and I think all of the votes in your county should be counted and they should be certified and we should be moving forward as a state. What will this do to Tom Horn's victory when he won by 8,000 votes? Does that change his margin of victory? Does it expand the margin of victory for uh, for Chris Mays over Abe Hamaday, where that recount has already been triggered. What does it do to Juan Siscomani's win as, as a Republican in the House of Representatives? And what are you exactly looking for? The issue for me with Cochise County is they should have asked their questions beforehand because when you do it after, it looks like sour grapes. That's the issue. If you were questioning the certification of the tabulation machines, the voting machines, whatever you want to call them, if you were questioning the validity of the certification, then why didn't you ask it before one ballot went into that machine? Why didn't you as a board have an emergency meeting and go to the secretary of state's office and say, whoa, 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 before election day, before we start counting ballots, before we start trusting these machines, prove to us that they were certified. Show us that they worked. Show us the certification that these machines are good to go. That's the way you're supposed to handle it. Not after. Not after you lose, because it begs the question. If your candidates had won, if if Carrie Lake had won, if Blake Masters had won his race, if Republicans had won the majority or all of these races, would you be questioning the validity of the election? Would you be postponing because you're concerned about the machines? That, to me, is the biggest issue. Why would you do it after the fact? So here we are making the same mistake heading into 2024 that we made heading into 2022. If we, you know, the you believe the election was stolen in 2020. If we harped on that for two years, we were going to lose in 2022. There was not the red wave across this country that was expected. And if you say, well, it wasn't a red wave because they stole the election from us. If you continue to say that, then in your mind in 2024, when we lose again, they are going to be, it will be stolen again. We have to learn our lessons. We have to find a way. And again, I would say you still have control of the legislature. Keep all the Republicans on board in the state legislature, in the House and the Senate. Come up with a piece of legislation that helps make sure that the votes are expedited, that we make sure that it's done fairly. Change some of the laws ahead of time. And get the governor, get it on the governor's desk. Then you're moving in the direction of fixing something instead of looking backwards and trying to change what's done.
And I, I just I, I'm anxious to see. And what's going to happen? The last thing I'm going to ask about this is what will happen during the recount process if we recount the votes. And the numbers for Chris Mays, as thin as the margin of victory seems to be, what if the numbers stay the same? Does that validate that the votes were properly counted the first time? Then you have to rely on voter disenfranchisement during the, in the Maricopa County election. You have to lean on that. But you've got to throw out the fact that the machines were rigged if they do a hand count or if they count them over and the numbers stay the same. What we're going to do in a moment is uh, talk about New York City involuntarily hospitalizing people that are homeless and seriously mentally ill. Is this a good idea? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time, as always, with the show. Um, New York City is going to hospitalize homeless people that are severely mentally ill, and they're going to hospitalize them involuntarily. Now, we have talked about this, or I've talked about this quite a bit. If we are going to get a handle and get a grip on crime in this country, it's going to have to start with some of the HIPAA laws more than it is about the gun laws. And let me explain why I come to that conclusion. We see people that are committing crimes, uh, gun crimes, violent crimes. Um, if you look at them, they fit into a couple of different categories. Some of them are felons, violent felons that have just shown themselves to be violent predators in our society. And they're getting their hands on guns that they're not supposed to have. The gun laws that are existing are already saying they're not allowed to have them. But you look at the overwhelming number of these crimes that are being committed are being committed by felons that are called prohibited possessors who are already by law not allowed to have guns. The other group is when you see severe mental illness, and I, and I want to be very careful with this, and we always should be careful with this. We have been for years promoting, and I think justifiable, it was the right thing to do. We've been saying that mental illness and physical illness, both of them, there shouldn't be a stigma with them, and there is a full spectrum of physical illness. We know you can have the common cold to being diagnosed with a with a terminal illness. And there's everything in between as far as severity goes. And when it comes to mental illness, it's exactly the same way. So to all of a sudden say if there is a mental illness that someone is admitting to or has automatically makes them dangerous is is scary because that's absolutely not true. But we also know that there are those that when medicated properly medicated, not self-medicated, that they're, they're able to be functioning in society. But when they don't take their medication, they become dangerous to themselves or they become dangerous to other people. And a lot of time, that, that mental illness and lack of proper medication is what drives people into homelessness and keeps them there. And they become dangerous to themselves and to other people on the streets. The homeless population, that's another thing that we don't really know a lot or think a lot about, is the predatory behavior against homeless people. Within those communities, and it's a scary place to be, the sexual assault and the violent assaults and murders that happen because some of the people that are some of the people that are on the streets are dangerous. And that's the tough thing. We try to deal with mental illness here in, in Arizona. We've got, you know, in Phoenix has squads, a couple of squads of cops that are trained in intervening in mental health situations so that they don't become violent. Because when they do become violent, an officer has no uh, no recourse but to defend themselves or defend other innocent people, and then deadly force has to be used sometimes. So they're trained in a way to try to intervene 
and de-escalate in a mental health uh, crisis. And what they're doing in New York is they're going to start hospitaling, hospitalizing people against their will. Um, you know, and so these, these are the, the questions and the stories we should be paying attention to. The aggressive move to get people with mental illness off the streets comes in a year when rates of homelessness in New York exacerbated shelters uh, and public concerns surrounding crimes involving homeless people spiked. And I think that taking a look at this and how long can you, how long constitutionally can you do this? Because this has always been the problem of trying to solve is you know the revolving door. So here's the revolving door. Someone with a severe mental illness that's supposed to take medication isn't taking their medication. So they become dangerous to themselves or other people. So they Baker Act these people. They put these people on a 72-hour hold or whatever it is where they're put into an institution where they are medicated against their will and but they take their medication. Well, once they take their medication and once they are now no longer a danger to themselves or to anyone else, they have, they're not committing a crime and they're no longer dangerous. You can't hold them anymore. You've got to release them. And you can tell them you got to take your meds. You have to take this medication. But if they decide not to, here comes the revolving door. Now they're back on the streets. They, they, they go into that downward spiral again. Now they're out of control. They're dangerous to themselves or other people. Back into the system they go until they're better, until they are medicated, and then they're back on the street. So we have to, as a society, address the issue. Now, and I'm glad of all places, New York City, to be doing this because if we want to see a drop in the crime rates, if we really genuinely want to see a drop in crime rates, we've got to help people. We've, we looked at um, addiction, and, and I think rightfully so. Again, we look at addiction as an illness and not a crime. So if you're caught with drugs, if you're caught on drugs, that you are offered many, many, many times you are offered a program as opposed to jail. Now, if you commit a crime to feed your drug habit, that's different. If you're breaking into places, if you're stealing, if you're robbing. But the crime of being a drug addict isn't a crime. It is a cry for help. And so we've done so much in a mindset change to try to get people help so that they get help with their addiction. So they're not addicted to drugs anymore. Therefore, the, the reason for them committing crime has gone away. That's a helpful thing to society. Why aren't we treating mental illness the same way? It's not a crime. But if you're committing crimes, you've got to pay a price for those. But why are we not looking at the root problem for the crime, which is mental illness? Instead of focusing on the gun they used or the knife they used or whatever they used to commit a violent crime and try to take those away from everyone, why aren't we looking at the root problem here and saying if we could get them help for the issue, then they wouldn't be committing the crime with any kind of a weapon? And we'll see. I hope it works. I hope it works there, and I hope maybe other places try it. We're going to shift back to something I talked about a little bit earlier, and that is about the border, because the Supreme Court is hearing challenges to the Biden administration's policy on deportation. We're going to talk about the importance of this issue, and you're going to hear comments from some of the people involved next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. What legal remedy do states have or should they be able to have in uh, lack of enforcement of the laws by the federal government if they are affected by it, especially when it comes to immigration? That's what one of the questions being asked of the Supreme Court is now. The solicitor, From the Solicitor General's office, um, 
they had said in their excuse is that we don't have the resources to deport everyone. Now, the law says anybody in the country illegally shall be deported. That's what the law says. The Solicitor General's office is saying we don't have the resources in the United States to deport everyone that's here illegally, which is an indictment of our immigration system to begin with, that there are so many millions of people here illegally that we couldn't possibly deport them all. So what they are saying is what they are doing is going after the the most um, dangerous, the people that are known criminals, people that are known predators. So um, – The Solicitor General from the state of Texas, Judge Stone, is speaking and said this. Petitioners must remove anyone in particular. Rather, petitioners' detention obligations run only to arise before and after their decision to prosecute and run only to a small subset of this nation's illegal aliens. That they And the Solicitor General is saying the states bear the consequences of lack of enforcement by the federal government. Therefore, they should be able to get damages. They should be able to sue for damages, and the federal government should have to repay the states for the damages done. So now the Solicitor General's office in the U.S. reply to that statement is this. First, the states lack standing. They argue states can challenge any federal policy that imposes even one dollar of indirect harms on their own taxing or spending. So the problem here is that we understand we have a broken system. That's why all of this is being heard. This is where the American people are disappointed. The president of the United States is coming to Arizona on Tuesday, and he's coming here to talk about manufacturing. He's going to go to a chip plant. Um, I talked with Gatos earlier this morning in a segment we do called the Big Q Poll Question of the Day. And we we had a little discussion about this, and we both agreed, which is rare that him and I agree. But uh, we agreed on this in that the president of the United States is coming to a border state, but he's not going to go to the border. That doesn't make any sense to me. With the fight that's going on, with the arguments going on, the president should go to the border. The president should go to Yuma and explain to the people of Yuma how his policies are working and how they're not in a bad place. He should go down to the ports of entry where all of these drugs are coming across our border and should be discussing what they're going to do to beef up things to stop them. We don't have enough border enforcement people to stop the drugs or stop the crime or stop the criminals from coming across. We should be hiring more agents on the border and not for the IRS. Same thing, right? We don't have enough people paying their taxes. People are cheating on their taxes. People are getting away with not paying taxes properly. Therefore, we need more enforcement so that the 87,000 people that we are hiring can enforce existing tax laws and make sure that the American citizens are paying their fair share of taxes. They don't have enough enforcement now. They need more. They allocated money for 87,000 more border or I'm sorry, uh, IRS agents. Well, if the border's in the condition it's in and there are so many millions of people here illegally, so many so that we can't deport them all, don't we need 87,000 or more agents on the border? This isn't a partisan issue. So the president of the United States is going to come to Arizona, and I'm sure, I believe he will be, unless our president is out of town, I'm sorry, our governor is out of town, I believe the president will be greeted by the governor. That's usually how it's done. That's what protocol is. And um, I think it's wrong for a governor not to do that. I think it's the right thing to do. But in that time for a momentary or a brief conversation that you would have with the president of the United States, to remind him that he's in a border state and you know while you're here you should be going to the border you should at least be going down there and talking to your border agents about what's happening seems to be the right thing to do you're in Arizona you're coming here and I don't blame him for talking about manufacturing the fact that the chip industry has come here is as much a testament to our governor's hard work as anybody else's but the president of the United States if 
he's saying I am I am laser focused on expanding manufacturing in the U.S. And here is a, a, a shining diamond example of that. That's great. That is terrific. But why not have the conversation while you're here about the U.S. border? And I think there are a lot of people in Arizona that see this as a huge failure by this administration, including me, that this and and the the pushback I get from people all the time is no one's ever fixed the border problem. And I, I look, you're right. Republican, Democrat. How about the Republican presidents? Reagan didn't couldn't do it. George W. Bush has said one of the biggest regrets of his time as president of the United States was not getting comprehensive comprehensive immigration reform done. Donald Trump didn't fix the problem, although there was a huge reduction. People didn't like the way he did it, but there was a huge reduction in illegal border crossings during that administration. Whether you agree with the practices or not, there was a huge reduction, but even he didn't solve the problem. The problem of of the Dreamers and the problem of all this was not happening. Any of those Republican presidents, and neither did Jimmy Carter, neither did um, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. Joe Biden, none of them have solved the problem of our border issues, but it's never been as bad as it is right now. So for the pushback when someone someone complains, this isn't a new problem, This is, and you're absolutely right. Our government has let us down, but what's happening now is it's worse than it's ever been. And the policies of this administration, there was a memo sent out by uh, Secretary Mayorkas from Homeland Security that was talking to ICE and telling agents who and when they can deport people. They're saying it's because they want to direct their resources toward the most dangerous people here, but it still is a violation of the law. And I don't know how they're going to handle it. I hope they handle it soon. I would love for us to get back on track and have a great immigration system we can be proud of instead of what we have now. What we have now is a complete failure. We're going to talk about free speech. I talked about this earlier, and I love this, the whole free speech conversation. Why? Because Elon Musk bought Twitter and changed the rules for oversight, and people are losing their minds. I don't get it. I don't get it. But the question of is it really free speech if you have to pay for it takes it to a new level of ridiculous. We're going to get to that coming up in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Um, We talked about this earlier. There's an opinion piece complaining that you have to pay $8 for free speech. Um, Even if you must give them them to me, talking about millions of dollars, pay me for free speech. In small increments of $8 at a time, that's better than nothing. I believe that if you give me enough money, we can still rescue the godforsaken country. Um, this idea, and it's it's so weird to me when we talk about free speech. I'm going to give you a, a, a what the differences can be. We know what's happening in China with lockdowns. We've had video evidence that comes out of China now that they're locking people in their homes because there is another big, huge wave of COVID in that country. So they're locking people in their homes. And people are protesting in the streets. And it's different than protesting here because they truly are taking their lives, uh, putting their lives in danger by protesting there. That there is a violent response to protest in that country. Here, a violence is met with violence, but we honor and respect people that protest. As a matter of fact, the police in our town 
They escort the protesters to make sure they're protected, even when they're protesting the police. And so I'm a big fan of protest. I don't do it. I'm not a protester. But I think the exercise of the First Amendment makes us great Americans, even when I don't agree with what you're saying. Even if I think what you're saying is ridiculous, the fact that you're willing and able to stand up for what you believe in and do it in safety, no repercussion from the government makes us the country we are. I want to give you something that I find interesting. The Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, going back um, in – well, recently. Let's start now. The date on this one was yesterday. This is the quote from Justin Trudeau yesterday. Everyone in China should be allowed to protest. We will continue to ensure that China knows we will stand up for human rights with the people who are expressing themselves. We all would agree with that statement, right? We agree that people should be allowed to protest. Uh, let's go back to uh, February of this year. Here's what he said about protests in his own country. If you join the protest because you're tired of COVID, you now need to understand you're breaking the law. So in other words, we're going to stand up for the Chinese people's right to protest, but we're not going to stand for it here in Canada. Now, this isn't an indictment of Canada. There are many people that are saying the same thing here. You go on Twitter in years past, and I love Twitter. It's one of the platforms I use, um, and I like the conversation. But it's mean. It's hateful. And not just mean. It's hateful. If they disagree with you, they say hateful things about you. Not everyone, but it exists. They say horrible things. Uh, people that dis- – you know, it doesn't have to be super controversial, but controversial enough. The people that were against masks and vaccines on Twitter – because everybody's anonymous on Twitter, you know, and even if you have your like I use my real name, um, you know, I am at Broomhead KTAR on Twitter. That's my personal Twitter handle. It's got a picture of me on there. It's me. Um, but people that are, you know, I always say it's like slappy 682. It's the ones that don't use their real name. They're horrible people on Twitter. They say the most vile things trying to get a rise out of people. We call them keyboard warriors. They're really tough online. What's interesting about it is they were saying things like, if you don't vaccinate your kids, you should lose your children. You should lose your job. If you're not going to get vaccinated, you should go to jail. I hope you get sick and die. I hope you get COVID and die. And then when somebody they disliked did get COVID, they would say they hope they died from the virus. That's hateful. Hateful speech. Should it be eliminated? No, that's someone expressing themselves. Now, they're showing you what an idiot they are, but they have a right to do that. Controversial speech has always been protected. I've talked about art. I've talked about so many other things that stir up controversy. The Charlie Hebdo thing. Do you remember when that happened, how horrible that was? They mocked Islam and the Prophet Muhammad, and people were murdered because of it. Murdered. Because they dared speak against the prophet. Where in this country, there's an art exhibit that happened years ago in which someone took a rosary with a crucifix. And if you're not Catholic, you don't understand. But if you are Catholic, you understand that the crucifix, the crucified Christ, is the most sacred symbol in Catholicism. Somebody thought that it would be a good idea as art to be a provocateur and take a rosary And have it dipped in or hanging in, not submerged all the way. The beads from the rosary, I believe, were outside of the mason jar. But the crucifix crucifix itself was in a mason jar full of urine. And that's art. 
it angered many Catholics, many Christians, not just Catholics, but many uh, Christians as well that were defending the Catholicism and, and this being their most sacred symbol. And it was protected by the First Amendment. It's art. It's supposed to provoke emotion in you. It's supposed to do those things. And now the very people that stood up and said that about Maple Thorpe and about the desecration of the American flag in the name of art and all of these other things, um, the same people that said that that's art and you can't silence people are the ones now that want to get rid of speech. It's interesting, and I'm not – listen, I think anti-Semitism is as is, is bad as any other racist attitude that's out there. If you despise people because of their heritage, I think you're a fool. I hate anti-Semitism, but we're going after Kanye West for his anti-Semitic remarks, and if, if he deserves to be ostracized, um, what about um, the other people that have made those remarks before? You know, what about, you know, uh, people that have made other anti-Semitic remarks and then they somehow get a pass? Uh, Louis Farrakhan, let's go there. And some of the things he said against Jews. Why is that acceptable? Why is he not ostracized? So does it depend on who's saying it? The idea that we're going to silence people or somehow Elon Musk is responsible for vetting and fact-checking. No, you fact-check. You fact check. If you don't want to believe it or if you want to disprove it, disprove it. Why put it on someone else? It's it's absolutely ludicrous. Just after 11 o'clock, we're going to go back to our economy. I think it's one of the most important stories that's going on right now. The White House and the rail strike. All of it. Next.